Well, good morning, everybody. And let's, uh, let's go ahead and pray for our service real quick. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I come to you today, Lord, just to thank you once again for allowing us each and every one of us to be here in your house, Lord, to hear your word. And I ask you, Lord, as we open this, Lord, just and we learn more about people that followed you, Lord, I ask you to please help us have our hearts and minds open, Lord, but let us hear something and, and maybe learn something and, and something that we can apply to our own lives and, and help us follow you closer, Lord. In, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. <clears throat> Thank you, Cam. Okay, we're going to continue on this study of uh, the, the followers of Jesus, and, and uh, we're on uh, part 16 now, but there's actually more parts because we started off doing... Uh, I think a different title, like seven or eight studies, so it's been a lot. There's a lot of people when you actually get down into to going by the people that are actually named in the Bible. And <clears throat> we're going to look at two more people here that are two men that are, they're only mentioned one time in the Bible, but yet God God chose to let these men be be named in the, in the New Testament, and, and they're there forever. But they're there for a reason. It's just not because it's like, hey, let's just throw a name in there because they did something that Christ wanted us to know about. So we're going to look at these guys. Let's, let's go to the book of Titus, chapter 3. Titus, chapter 3, is where we'll start. <coughs> I'm getting there, Cam. Thank you. Cam looks out for me. Whenever I cough, he always asks me if I'm okay. I don't know if it's because he cares about me or he's wanting me to fall over dead. <coughs> Um, so Titus chapter three, and, and we're going to read one verse, verse 12, the Bible says, when I send Artemis unto thee, or Tychicus, be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis, for I have determined there to winter. Okay. Well, this is Paul speaking, right? So we see who's Paul speaking to. He's speaking to Titus. He's telling Titus that, that he will send Artemis. I had it right. Artemis? Yes, Artemis. So Paul told Titus in this letter, he says, I'm going to send Artemis to you to take over your pastoral duties in Crete, is where Titus was. And he said, so, so that Titus could come to visit with Paul. Okay, So they're doing some moving around of, of church leadership. So if this guy Artemis, Paul knew him enough and trusted him enough to send him to pastor a church while Titus came to confer with Paul, okay? I guess it had been, you know, the first Christian church conference there. That's what's going on. And that's because Paul was, he said he's going to winter in, in Nacopolis. Well, think about it. When, when winter comes here in Texas, it's nothing. It's just like, eh. But even in other parts of the world, when winter comes, you know, you get in your car, you put your snow chains on and roll on. Well, it's much different back there, you know, because most of the travel was, you know, in a, in a wagon or on a donkey or on a horse or a camel or on foot more than likely. So winter travel wasn't the best, you know. So when really hard winter got there, they settled down and stayed places, right? So that's what Paul was doing. And he says, you know, send Artemis to me. I mean, I'll send Artemis to you so you can come confer with me and we can, we can you know, we can learn some more. We can study the word. So we. So why? What is the reason? So they could spread the word of word of God even more. So Artemis, we know just from this one verse, he was a Christian, 
And it had to be a Christian who had, he had a part in the ministry and he had part in the building of the early church because Paul was going to send him to pastor while Titus was going to see him. And if we look at history, not the Bible, but just the history of the world, it states that this guy, Artemis, became a bishop of a church in Lystra, okay? And Lystra is in modern-day Turkey, okay? So let's look on to somebody else. Same, same, uh, same book, Titus, and same chapter, uh, Titus 3, but we're going to read verse 13. So the next verse says, Bring Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey diligently, that nothing be wanting unto them. Okay? It says, Bring Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey diligently, that nothing be wanting unto them. So what, what's Paul telling Titus here? He's saying, well, when you come, bring this guy Zenos with you. Okay? Uh, when, he, when you come to night. Nicopolis, uh, when you come over here, bring this guy Zenith with you. And all we know about Zenith is that he's a lawyer, okay? And he's a Christian. And he had some part in the ministry of the early church because Paul trusted him. Paul knew him by name. And Paul asked for him to also come to where he was. So whatever they were going to do, you know, confer about church business, he wanted Zenos there, and he, he lets us know that he's a lawyer. So, you, you, you know, a lot of people think, oh, Bible times, you know, they still think that they were, you know, like cavemen running around. Yeah. No, it's a very advanced culture, but we just don't realize it because we didn't live there. I mean, they had government structures. They had, you know, city structures. They had attorneys. It wasn't like, you know, just a bunch of fools in the, running around with sticks in the woods. It was an actual city. It was an actual time. There was government. And we know there's government because the Roman church was doing their best to stomp. I mean, the Roman government was doing their best to stomp the church flat, right? So we see here this Zenos. You know, he said, bring him. He's a Christian. He's a lawyer. So maybe he wanted some lawyer help, right? And he had something to do with the early church. So let's, let's move on. Let's look at a guy named Philemon. And old Philemon actually has a book in the Bible named after him. And it's only one book, but there's a lot in there. And it, it, it's a, Paul wrote this letter to Philemon, and that's how we know about this guy. So let's read Philemon 1 and verses 1 through 2. And the Bible says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and our beloved Aphia, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. So what are we seeing here? Well, Paul's introducing us to this guy. He's introducing us to Philemon. Okay? And we know, <coughs> excuse me, that he was a first century Christian. He was one of the first Christians when the church was being built. Okay? We also know from reading the book of Philemon that he was a slave owner. Okay? He owned a slave, at least one we know of, but he hosted a church in his home, okay? And it was most likely he lived in Colossae. If you, if you read the Bible and, and figure it out, he lived in Colossae. And his name, Philemon, actually means affectionate in Greek, okay? And, and from what we know about Philemon from this one book and from other places he's mentioned, he lives up to that name. He's, a, he's an affectionate guy. He's, he's a loving, and we'll see. Um and, and think about Philemon, like I said, 
before he was a Christian, he had a wife, he had a son, he had a home, he had whatever he had, a business or a ranch or a farm, whatever. He had a slave, which is not uncommon, okay? Everybody's, oh, slave, no. Back during that time, if you were affluent, slavery was there. It wasn't right, but it was part of the culture, okay? <clears throat> so he was a slave owner. Well, at some time during his life, he met Paul. And Paul led him to faith in Jesus Christ on one of his visits to Asia Minor. So Paul went over there on a missionary journey, and either Philemon, you know, I don't know if he went to Philemon, but he may have been having a tent meeting. Philemon heard the word of God, and he got saved, okay? And then we see, he, we know he got saved because then what happens if you read through Philemon? We see that Paul stayed in Philemon's home, okay? So they had a guest room for him. And whenever Paul went to this region of the world on missionary journeys, he always stayed with Philemon and his family, okay? <clears throat> and the only mention of Philemon by name in the Bible is in, in, the, in the book of Philemon, right? And the book of Philemon was a personal letter from the Apostle Paul to his friend Philemon. And Paul calls him, as we read here, he calls him a dear friend, Okay, not just a friend, not just an acquaintance, not just somebody I've heard of, a dear friend. Okay, remember Paul's in prison right now. A dear friend and a fellow worker. So we know he was close to Paul. We know he helped spread the gospel. We know he had a church in his home. We know Paul got to stay with him when he went there, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. And we know that Paul led Philemon to Christ. Because Paul talks about it. Okay? So let's continue on and learn about this guy Philemon. So let's look at verse 10. Verse 10, the Bible says, I beseech thee for my son Onimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. And Onimus uh, was the slave of Philemon. Okay? But here we see, remember we talked about him uh, the last week or the week before. He went to Rome to hide, to run from his master. And when he was there, he probably got put in jail because he met Paul, who was in prison there. And Paul's, Paul gave him the word of God, and he got saved. And we see here, it says, uh, uh, for, for, for my, my son, Onimus, who I have begotten in my bonds. Okay, Well, he's not really, we talked about it, he's not his blood son. He was a young man, and Paul took him in. Okay? Wow. So in the book of Philemon, Paul appeals to his friend, Philemon, on behalf of a runaway slave. He knows who Onimus, on, on, Onimus is. And he says, he, he, he met Paul, and that's what Paul says. He met me, he, I was in prison in Rome here, you know, and he became a Christian while in prison, okay? But then Onimus gets released, but he knows, Paul knows, that he's still the property of Philemon, Okay? That's still there. And Philemon, by Roman law, has the right to discipline him. Okay? So Paul sends him back to Philemon because he says it's the right thing to do. Go back to your owner. But he sends this letter with him. Okay? So here we go. So what happens? Because of this, this letter that Paul sent, and it's a heartfelt appeal for, for, to Philemon for this slave. 
It's exactly what this letter is about. And if we look at it, we, we learn about Philemon. We learn that, like I said, he, he owned at least one slave, right? And, and, and we talked about that, that most affluent people in that region of the world, which is now Turkey, they own slaves. That was just, you know, like in our region in America, everybody owns a car. It's one of those things, you know, doesn't make it right. Slavery is wrong, but that's what happened. But we'll see what happens here. So we also know that Philemon hosted a church in his home, and he did this along with his wife, Aphia, and his son, Acrippus. And we've talked about Acrippus before. He was a soldier in Christ. So Paul led Philemon to Christ, and Philemon brought his wife and his son to Paul to maybe a tent meeting, and they all got saved. And now they're having church in their home, okay? And then we know he regularly prayed for Paul and prayed for his ministry. And we talked about that, being a prayer warrior for your fellow Christians. Our pastor talked about that. We need to pray, 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 pray. He prayed for Paul, and he prayed for the ministry, okay? He also loved the church, and he loved the people because he had a home, and he let people come into it to have church. And we talked about this before, about the, the people in the Bible that mentions that. If our church was gone, would we open our homes to our fellow members to come have church? You know, so that's what they did. And, you know, he, he most likely, he, he would most likely do anything that Paul asked, right? Well, Paul asked him to receive his slave back, but not as a slave, okay? And, and we know that, that he had a guest room in his house because Paul was welcome to stay there, which he frequently did when he went to this area, this region to preach, right? So let's look at Philemon uh, verse 19. <clears throat> so the Bible says, I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand, I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self besides. I'm sorry, let's read verse 18 too. Let's read them together. It says, verse 18 says, If he hath wronged thee, he's talking about his slave, or owed thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self besides. What is he talking about? Well, Paul's talking to Philemon, and we're looking at the relationship between Paul and Philemon. And it was clearly clearly a, a warm, close, respectful relationship. They had a very close bond, okay? As, as some people do when a pastor preaches the Word of God to them and they get saved in that church, they have a close bond with that pastor, right? And that's exactly what Philemon and Paul did, right? And, and Paul was comfortable enough with this friendship and and. And, and to gently remind his, his friend Philemon that he owed Paul. That's what Paul said. He says, thine own self. What is he talking about? Paul's telling him in this letter, he's saying, I'm sending back your slave. But I want you to receive him as you would receive me because you owe me. You owe me because I taught you about Jesus Christ. He's basically calling in the thing saying, if not for me, you would not got saved. If not for me, your wife and child would not got saved. If not for me, you wouldn't have a church in your home, and you wouldn't be spreading the gospel. So he's kind of guilt-tripping him there a little bit. But he's telling him, you owe me, okay? So the book of Philemon, it gives us a template. It gives us a template for appealing to our Christians, brothers and sisters, 
about issues of disagreement, right? Think about the disagreement here. Here's a slave that fled and stole from him, and now he's coming back, right? And while Paul never criticizes Philemon from owning slaves, but we know it's right, he gently reminds him, he gently reminds him that Onesimus, that slave, is now a brother in Christ, okay? He's now a brother in Christ, and he tells him that that truth should now define their relationship. It shouldn't be master-slave. They're brothers in Christ now, okay? And it is probable that, that Philemon freed Onesimus when he returned, okay? And he heeded Paul's instructions that, that he had given him. And under the covenant of grace, both master and slave have equal standing in the eyes of Christ. And it's also a symbol of how Christ forgives us our sins. Philemon forgave Onimus his sins. And then he raised him up because he was a brother of Christ. Now they're equals. They're no longer master and slave. Okay? And that's what Christ does for us. So let's look on. Okay, let's go back to verse 2. <coughs> okay, verse 2 says, And to our beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. So who is Aphia? That's his wife. That's Philemon's wife, okay? And she was a Christian who got saved after her husband got saved from listening to Paul. Paul taught Philemon, got him saved. Philemon went home and told his family, I got saved. This is what I heard. And somehow they either heard preaching or it doesn't tell us where they got saved, but it says that they are saved. They are Christians, right? So they got saved after their husband got saved. And then Aphia gave herself to serve in the early church. How did she do that? She opened her home. Her home became a meeting place for the church in Colossae, right? Um, and, you know, whatever Christians came along came at her home. She, maybe some she didn't know. They were doing outreach. So she had her home, and she had the Christians she knew, but she had strangers coming in to hear the Word of God. Yeah. Could we do that with our house? Would we open up our house to that? No. You wouldn't, Cam, I know. But think about that. That took a lot. Think about today if you would do that. Would you open up your home to our church meeting there and then all the outreach and we're going in the streets and pulling people in, all kind of crazy strangers coming in? She did that because Christ was in her heart, right? And, and due to her being faithful in her service to God, we read here that Paul calls her beloved, beloved, okay? How many Christians you know you would look at and call beloved? Or how many other names would you call your brothers and sisters? How many other names have you called your brothers and sisters in Christ? You look at them and go, huh. Beloved doesn't come up, does it? Where's your heart then, okay? Because her heart was right. So let's look on at some other people. Let's look on at a lady named Mary. And this is not the mother of Jesus. This is not Mary Magdalene. This is Mary. And she's the sister of Martha and Lazarus. So let's go to John chapter 11. <clears throat> John chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> John chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> and the Bible says, <clears throat> excuse me, I am not in the right chapter. 
It's your fault, fam. <clears throat> John chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus, of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Okay? So what are we seeing right here? Well, it's setting up who this lady is. We see that Mary is the sister of Lazarus, and we know Lazarus dies, and we know the story of him being raised back from the dead. But she's also the sister of Martha. Okay? So let's look at Luke chapter 10. Luke 10. Luke 10, and we're going to read 38 through 42. <clears throat> the Bible says, Now it came to pass, as they went, they entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him unto her house. Received who? Jesus. Okay? And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about with much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she, she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha. It's like your parents when you really get in trouble. They call you by all the names you were named. Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. What is he talking about? Here's Martha. She's like, I'm working myself to the bone, and Mary's just sitting here. Well, well she's, he's going to teach her a lesson here. When we see Martha, I mean, we see Mary, like I said, is Martha's sister, and she's in Martha's home. And she's sitting there listening to Jesus because Jesus and his disciples and apostles came there to visit. And they were, they were welcomed into Martha's home. And she's, man, she's in there making food, you know. Yeah. She's cranking it up. She's throwing dishes around. She's probably cleaning up, sweeping. You know, in my house, it'd be Claudia making tacos for everybody. So she is really working herself up, right? And Martha is stressed out because she's trying to prepare food for Jesus and his disciples, yeah. right? And they're visiting. And they probably didn't text her and say, hey, we're on the way. They probably just came into the town and went, I came here to visit Martha and Lazarus and Mary. And we know that Jesus loved them because the Bible tells us that he loved them, okay? And, and Martha, she's frustrated because her sister's not helping her. And she, she actually, she goes to Jesus, and this is how close a relationship she has. She rebukes him. She accuses him of not caring for her because he's allowing Mary just to sit there. Sit there on her seat and do nothing. She doesn't see the truth, right? And, and, and she's, Jesus, I'm doing all the work, and she, she is just sitting there. Okay, so Jesus gives her some insight here, doesn't he, into, into what Mary is doing. And he, he, he commended Mary for what? For choosing the good part, the good part. I'm sure Martha's like, the good part? She's being lazy. I'm working like a dog, right? No. So what he meant is, is that Mary 
had a desire to be near the Lord and to hang on every word he was telling her, okay? And he was saying that that, hearing the word of God, is far more beneficial than cleaning the house and, and making tacos for everybody. It's a good thing, but don't be stressed out if your sister is sitting there listening to the word of God, okay? And she's running, her ra running herself ragged, making preparations for the meal, and, and Jesus further says that choosing the good part, which is listening to the word of God and learning from Jesus Christ himself, okay? He says, that cannot be taken away from Mary. These tacos we're going to eat, they're not going to last long. But the word of God, and you hear it, and you receive it into your heart and into your mind, it will never go away, okay? And that's what Jesus was telling Mary. I mean, telling Martha here. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. <coughs> in verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to read verse 11 through 13. The Bible says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Those are some pretty strong verses there. Pretty strong verses. But we see that Mary was choosing the good part. And by choosing the good part, Jesus meant those who put Jesus first in their lives and, and constantly seek God's word and stay close to him every day. And this is what our pastor was teaching us about. You know, he says praying constantly, that's staying close to, the, to, to Christ all day long. Okay? And that's what he's talking about here. In, in those that seek the word of God and stay close to him all day long, that's what will last through eternity. That's the good part. Okay, That's what Jesus was talking about. And this is building, in, in these verses we're looking at, it's talking about building your foundation. What are you building your foundation in? You're building your foundation on Jesus Christ. Because nothing in this world will stand Okay, nothing in this world can stand the trials or the tribulations that will come to your life except a foundation built on Jesus Christ. Okay, because that foundation, as we learn right here, will last into eternity. Okay, and here's the other thing. Okay, it says it also says right there, it says that you're going to be tried. You're going to be tried. Every man's works are tried. And are your are your works going to fall because they're not on a foundation? Are they going to stand? Okay, but we're looking we're talking about Martha. Martha here was so worried about making everything perfect. She got distracted and she lost sight of who she was speaking to. She really did. You're right, Cam. She was speaking to Jesus, but she rebuked him. She forgot who she was talking to. But look at Mary. She was sitting there silently focusing on every word that came out of Jesus's mouth. Okay, that was her only concern. She wasn't worried about getting ready for everybody, okay? Let's go back to John chapter 11. We know our foundation now, so let's look at this. John chapter 11. 
<clears throat> and let's read um, verses 1 through 3 again. It says, Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, unto whom thou lovest is sick. Unto whom thou lovest is sick. So we're seeing that later here, Lazarus got deathly sick. Okay? And, and, and her, Mary and her sister, Martha, they requested, they sent out and requested Jesus to please come heal our brother. Okay? Well, let's look on and see what's going on here. The same chapter, let's look at verses 28 and 29. Chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, it says, And when she had said so, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The master is come and, and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. So we see, here's Jesus. He's finally arrived where Lazarus is. But if you remember the story, Jesus delayed on purpose. And Lazarus died, not because he wanted to see Lazarus dead, but because he wanted to bring God the Father glory by raising him. Okay? So, Jesus has arrived, Lazarus is dead, and he gets there, and who does he call for? He calls for Mary. Who was sitting at his feet listening on every word? It was Mary. He called for Mary, right? By name. So let's go to John, same chapter, let's jump down to verse 31 through 35. Verse 31 through 35 says, the Jews then which were with her in the house and, and comforted her when they saw Mary that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. <clears throat> when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and, and Jesus also Weeping, which came with her. I'm sorry, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her. He groaned in the spirit. Well, Jesus groaned in the spirit. And he was troubled. And he said, Where have ye laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come see. Verse 35. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Jesus wept for Lazarus. But he also wept for Mary and Martha and the Jews that were there. Because he was trying to teach them something here. But we see that Jesus arrived. I'm sorry. When, when Mary hears that Jesus has come and, and is calling for her by name, what does she do? It says she hastily. She immediately, she jumps up and leaves all these people in her house that are mourning for her brother. They're in her home mourning, mourning, mourning. She jumps up out the door. And they're like, is she going to the grave? Where did she go? She ran to meet Jesus. Okay, And why did she do that? Because she sat there at his feet and she learned from him. And she knew him. And what did she do? And, and her, great, her, her love was so great for Jesus and her desire to, to obey him and to please him that she leaves all these people. Middle of a funeral. She's gone. She went to who? Jesus, who's her comforter, right? He's her comforter right then. And, and, she, and she goes there and, and she's... she's She's wanting her to put his arms around her and, and, and comfort her. And, and Jesus Christ is the greatest comforter mankind has ever known. 
He comforted us so much that he died on a cross for our sins. Okay? When Jesus sees her great sorrow, he sees her crying. He sees those people that are along with her. They're all crying too, right? And, and even though he knows her sadness, he knows it's going to be short-lived because he knows exactly what he's going to do. He knows he's going to raise her brother from the dead, right? And he knows it's going to be real soon. But his heart breaks because he sees the pain. And this is the Mary that sat at his feet. It didn't say Martha was sitting at his feet, does it? It doesn't say he called Martha by name. It doesn't mean that he loved her any less. But Mary and Jesus had a connection. They had a connection because she listened. Okay? John chapter 12. John chapter 12. And we're going to read verses 1 through 8. So bear with me. John 12, verses 1 through 8. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany. Isn't that where they lived? Bethany, remember? Where Lazarus, which, was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead, there they made him a supper. And Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Okay? Martha's serving again, huh? I think that's her gift. She makes sure everybody's fed, right? Then Mary, Mary took a pound of ointment of spikenard, which is a very expensive ointment, right? A very, it says very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, imagine, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This, he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the bag and bear what was put therein. So Judas didn't care about selling that ointment and giving to the poor. He thought, man, I could skim that money right off into my pocket, right? So let's read on. So then Jesus said, let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor, for the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Okay, so there's a lot here. And remember, this is the Mary that sat at his feet and listened when she first when Jesus and his disciples came to that house, to Martha's house, right? And Martha's Man, she's working, but Mary's listening. This is the Mary they could call by name when Jesus came to town and when Lazarus had died. This is the Mary that ran to meet him because she had a connection with him. He was her comforter. She was broken because her brother was dead. And she ran to her comforter. And this is the Mary that said, Lord, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. How much faith is that? She didn't say, if you would have been here, he might not have died. She said, he would not have died. Okay? So now we see he's back. He's back in their house. Same scenario. Lazarus there. Mary's there. They're listening. What's Martha doing? Making those tacos. She's tearing it up again, right? But this is the last time that we see Mary is mentioned in the Bible. And they may not realize it, but it's only a few days before Jesus is crucified, right? And what does she have? 
She has this box of ointment. Not a little bit of ointment, a lot of ointment. Very expensive. Okay? So it would be equivalent to us having a perfume, a perfumed ointment that just a little bit is very expensive. But she has a whole box. She has a shoebox of this stuff, right? And she has so much that when she anoints Jesus with it, the whole house is filled with the odor. So it's not like, you know, I'm getting ready and I spray some cologne on. And Claudia comes in the bedroom and she might smell it. No, if, if I would do this, she would smell it, you know, in the kitchen. That's she, the whole house. So she had a lot of it. So a meal has been prepared. Martha, like I said, she's up there serving, man. She's serving and serving and serving and serving, right? Lazarus, he's been resurrected, right? What's he doing? He's reclining at the table with Jesus and his disciples. He's listening. He's listening to the word of God. It's probably already, he's pretty uh, thankful for Christ, isn't he? He got raised from the dead. I'd be pretty thankful too. So, so at some point, Mary comes out with this, this, this whole box of this very expensive perfume. Very expensive. Okay? And I don't know what kind of job she had. We don't know. I don't know if she just had enough money to go buy this or she had saved up every little piece of money she had and slowly bought it. But she had a big, big container of a very expensive ointment. Okay? And what does she do? She brings it out. She goes to Jesus' feet. Okay? Back during this time, it was a custom to wash your feet when you go into somebody's house because you walked around in sandals. And, you know, it wasn't like we're on, like, nice little paved ground. It's dirty. You know, you get your feet dirty. Take your shoes off when you walk to somebody's house and wash your feet. If they wash your feet, it's a sign of respect. It's a sign of love. Okay? She didn't wash his feet with water. She washed his feet with what? That very expensive ointment. She got down on her knees in front of the Lord Jesus Christ, took out this ointment, and started wiping his feet. She washed his feet with this ointment. Okay? With this ointment, it was also used when somebody died. It was an ointment you anointed the body with. And it was probably to keep the odor of a decomposing body down. Okay? But... Think about it. Christ is getting ready to be crucified. She's anointing his feet with the same ointment that will be used on a dead body. But she's using a lot because she loves him that much. She respects him that much. She knows his death is coming because he's told him about it. She's wiping his feet. She's washing his feet with this very expensive perfume, right? And then she doesn't, you know, get a towel and wipe it off. She uses her hair. She's down there on her hands and knees with her hair drying his feet. How personal is that? I love you so much and I respect you so much that I am going to dry your feet with my hair. I mean, I couldn't dry nobody's feet with my hair. I don't have much. you more like a Brillo pad. But Mary is so affected. Remember, she sat at his feet and listened. She ran to him when her brother died. 
She loves Christ. Christ loves her. She's giving him this ointment, and it had to be pretty expensive because there's somebody in the house. And he said, Judas Iscariot said, whoa, that could have been sold for a bunch of money. And we could have used that, Lord, to feed the poor. Well, we all know what Judas was inside thinking. He was thinking, whoa, Lord, we could have sold that for a bunch of money and put it in the purse that I carry in my pocket. Sounds like a politician. Just skimming off the top, right? So we see she used this expensive ointment. She dried his feet with her hair. Judas is, you know, he's uh, upset because he says it's a waste of, of costly substance, right? Very worldly of him, right? Mary said nothing. Think about that. She didn't rebuke anybody. She didn't care what he said. She didn't care what the world said because she loved Jesus Christ. She was serving Jesus Christ. She was wiping his feet with her hair. She did not care what the world said. Do we care what the world says when we serve Jesus Christ? Are we ashamed? She wasn't ashamed, and she was being rebuked by one of his disciples, right? But rather, Mary allowed Jesus to defend her, and he did. He defended her. He, he says that, you know, she has kept this this perfume for his burial. And he goes on to say that she's kept this perfume for his burial and she's done a beautiful, loving, caring act by washing his feet and drying his feet. And he says that is an act of service to her Lord and Savior. And that's exactly what she did. This is, this is the Mary that we're talking about. And what was Martha doing? making tacos she was serving but she was serving in something that was temporary not that she's wrong but mary sat at his feet and he said that good thing jesus told her that good thing will serve her all the way into eternity right and that's what we see about mary and and we can learn uh two two things about mary that is pretty amazing and first we can learn that she seems to know that the time of Jesus' death on the cross is really close. Why else would she take this ointment that's made for burial, a huge amount of it, a very expensive amount of it, amount of it that makes the whole house smell like it, not just the, the body, and wash his feet with it and then dry his feet with her hair? She had to know. And this is funny because this very fact had escaped his disciples, even though Jesus had told her and told her, I mean, told them and told them and told them and told them. They still didn't get it that he was going to die. She did. She knew. That's because she sat at his feet. She listened. How many times do we come to church and hear the pastor, but we don't listen? How many times do we come to Sunday school and we hear the Sunday school, but we don't listen? Or a Bible study? Or maybe when we're trying to read the Bible by ourselves, how many times we just go, I'm done. And then you're sitting there thinking, man, I don't remember a thing I said. It's exactly, you have to hear and listen. Okay, let's go to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. <clears throat> hey, Cam, we're going to Mark. Mark 
chapter 9, verses 30 through 35, guys. And the Bible says, And they departed thence and, and passed through Galilee, and he would not that any man should know it. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered under the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. But they understood not. This is his disciples. They understood not that saying and were afraid to ask him. And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, What was it that ye disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace. By the way, for by the way they had disputed among themselves, who should be the greatest? Wow, right? Verse 35. And he sat down and called the twelve and said unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be the last of all and servant of all. Okay, well, we're talking about Mary. We see here the disciples didn't get it. They didn't understand what Jesus was teaching them about his death. But no doubt Mary, she contented herself with listening to the Lord Jesus Christ. And she meditated on his words. She studied his words. She knew his words. But while the disciples bickered about who was going to be greatest among them in the kingdom of heaven, what were they doing? Well, by doing so, they missed the very important truths that Jesus was trying to teach them. He was trying to teach them about his upcoming death and resurrection. Mary knew that, and we see that with the ointment. And how often, how often do we miss spiritual truths because we're so focused, we're self-focused, and that's what they were. They were all worried about themselves, and they were overly concerned for our rewards. How do we do? Do we do that? Yeah. Yes, we do, right? And, and uh, we worry about our status or our reputation among men, among people in this world, right? Or maybe even the trials we go through. We let that pull us completely away from Christ. That's exactly what they were doing. But second, we see that Mary had, had settled a conviction and confidence in her Lord. She had that in her Lord, right? So much so that she was not compelled to defend herself when she was criticized for using that ointment on his feet. She didn't have to defend herself because she knew she was doing the right thing. She was serving the Lord Jesus Christ, her Lord and Savior, right? How often do we jump at the chance to justify ourselves in the eyes of others? And we're criti critical, right? We criticize, you know, or we mock them. Or maybe we talk behind their back. How often do we do that? Especially about our brothers and sisters here in the church. How often do you walk out the door and go home? and We shouldn't do that, okay? Particularly where our faith is concerned. That's all about our faith, guys. But if we're like Mary, you know, we need to be sitting at Jesus' feet. And we need to be listening to him. That should be our number one priority, listening to Christ at every opportunity, whether it's Sunday school or Bible study or preaching or personal study, right, or our prayer life. And, and we have to have that depth of understanding that Mary had, right? We have to have that passion that Mary had for Christ. We have to have that complete faith that Mary had. She had complete faith. She ran to him and said, you could have saved my brother if you'd have been here. She sat at his feet while everybody else was busy. How often do we do that? Are we concerned about Jesus Christ or are we concerned about this world? And I'm just as guilty as everybody. But look at Mary. 
Her number one priority, listening to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that got her what? That got her depth of understanding that even the apostles didn't get. Okay? Her passion for Christ. She loved him. She wept for him. Her passion for Christ made her serve him right before his death. Serve him more than anybody else in that whole house did. The whole Bible, we don't see anybody that served Christ like that. With expensive ointment, drying it with her hair. And she didn't even need to defend herself because her faith was that strong. We need that in our lives. We need that in our lives. We need our faith to be so strong we don't have to defend ourselves, right? And, and we may not have Jesus Christ sitting in our living room, you know, talking to us. But we have his word. We have the Bible. Okay? We have preachers that preach us, preach to us. We have Sunday school teachers that teach us. We have devotions in our home. We have Bible studies. When there's a Bible study, you need to attend. Okay? Because you're missing something. Just like Martha was up making tacos. She's missing something. Right? She's missing the knowledge and understanding that Christ will give us so we can live our lives in a very secure and confident way with a strong faith like Mary. Mary was amazing. Mary was pretty smart. She was open. Hope our Mary's that way too. But think about that, guys. She had a strong faith. How weak are we? You know, I know I get bumped around all the time. But we don't need to do that. We need to stand strong. Okay? Let's pray. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I come to you today just to thank you for this moment to open your Bible, to hear your word, Lord. And I, I beg you, Lord, that, that these words were not my words. That you're, They were your words, and they meant something. And they were, they were presented in a way that, that we could understand and, and just reflect on our lives and how our strength is, is, is not that our faith needs to be stronger, Lord, and how we need to stop and we need to listen to you, Lord, and we need to fellowship with you and we need to fellowship with you every single moment of every single day, not just church time or Sunday school time, Lord, but we need to have that relationship, a real relationship like Mary had with you, Lord, and it was a constant relationship. It was a relationship that was just so strong, Lord. And I beg you to help us all get there, Lord. And God, I just ask you as we go through the rest of the day, just help us draw closer to you and, and open our hearts and minds to your word, Lord. In Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen, Cam.